And so that brings me on to the best type of articulator, which is the patient. The patient mm. is the best articulator. Absolutely. And for me, like when you have temporaries or mock-ups, or you don't try something, you know, you've got complex restorations, just put in temporaries in the math, put lab, put, put provisionals, checking the patient's math, it will make sense, cement them in temporarily, see how it goes. And when you're happy, just take a copy and use that because that's actually the best articulator you'll get. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Let's say you have a patient in front of you and you're observing their movements. You're observing their left lateral excursion, their right lateral excursion, and this, just their bite in general and their delicate wear facets. And now you're planning some restorations. Let's say you're going to do some crowns and veneers on this patient. Now, you send the case to a technician, a technician that you'd like to work with, uh, and what they will do is they will design some restorations. And what they hope is that as they are planning the excursions on the restorations, that when they send you back that work and you try in in the mouth, the movements that the lab was making is the same as what you're finding in the mouth. So essentially, going from patient to the technician and back to the patient, okay? So how can we make sure that this is as reliable and as predictable as possible? Well, that's why we use articulators, right? So we use articulators to mimic the TMJ and mimic the, the upper jaw and the lower jaw and all on the movement. So that's essentially why we use articulators, but we know that the best articulator is the TMJ. So now we have tools, tools that help to, so supposedly help to improve the reliability or predictability of those movements on the articulator being the same as the patient. So essentially, the articulators, the best articulator in the world, should it be ever be designed, would have the exact same movements as the patient. So it's like recreating the patient's jaw movements, but outside the mouth. So uh, one such tool is a facebow, and that is exactly what this episode is about. The facebow is a tool which confused me so much. For so many years, I had to go on so many different occlusion courses to get my head around a facebow and the different types. So I'm hoping this episode is gonna give you some closure on Facebooks, some idea and some understanding, some some theories, some philosophies, and also how you can get away without using a Facebook where necessary. Welcome, Patrice Rati. I'm Jazz Galati to this episode with Salman Mohammed, who's a specialist trainee at the Eastman doing prosthodontics. Sorry for the short break in episodes. Uh, I was at the BACD conference with Pascal Manier, who's agreed to come on the podcast. And here's a little clip and a sound clip of what he said or what I said to him at the time of handing him this handwritten note, inviting him very dearly, you know, inviting my hero to the podcast. So fingers crossed this is going to happen soon. But, but here's a little soundbite of, of the magic of Pascal Manier. There we are. Pascal's going to come on the podcast. He just said it. <laughs> the second most famous dentist ever after GV Black. Man, I'm such a fanboy there. Uh, the other reason I've been a little bit delayed is my son is a not a great sleeper. He's, you know, he's only two uh, and we go through good patches. And one stage I thought, wow, I'm absolutely an amazing parent. And uh, I've got this whole parenthood thing. And this whole parenthood thing is easy. And I've managed to sleep train my son. And I felt like I was on cloud nine. And then you have a bad week, you have illness, and suddenly your son becomes nightmare at nighttime. So uh, it's a real struggle. You know, the parenthood struggle is real, but it's a beautiful struggle. Uh, and so we persevere and we do the best we can. Before we jump to the main episode, uh, the protrusive dental pearl I have for you is probably something I've shared with you before. And I have no shame in sharing it again if that's the case, because I think it's such a huge pearl. If you are going to be using a face pearl, or, or, or if not, okay, this is a, a bite registration tip. If you're planning some restorations, or if you are planning a splint of any type, if you know the final vertical dimension that you'll be working to, for example, you know that you've got a generalized wear case. So you know that you want to lengthen the incisors and you want to open up the bite and you know the final overbite you're finishing with, you have a pretty good idea of how much you're raising the bite. So what the traditional concepts teach us is that when you're recording your centric relation bite or whichever position your religion believes in, you want to do it at the first point of contact, okay? And, and traditionally what would happen is that uh, the, the first point of contact is recorded and then the technician will open up the pin to give you the space that you need for the restorations. Now, the problem is that, and, and you'll, you'll suss this out in the episode as well, and we talk about this, is it's something I've already touched on in the very beginning of this intro, which is, the articulator is not the person, is not the articulator. So if you change anything vertically on the articulator, 
then there's no guarantee, in fact, it's, it's definitely not happening at all, that the patient does also opens in the same arc, okay? The arc of the patient is likely gonna be different, even with, the, even with the best face boat in the world, to the arc on the articulator. Therefore, why don't we reduce that error by doing your bite registration, not at the first point of contact, but doing it at where you want to finish. So if you decided, okay, I wanna go from here and you wanna open them up uh, three millimeters, why don't you take your bite record at that three millimeters or if you know that your splint is gonna be, uh, you know, 1.5 to two millimeters at the thinnest portion, uh, maybe in the molar region, that you get your bite record at that position. And you can use something like a leaf gauge, for example. Now, if these are all foreign terms, this is the first time you've tuned into Producers Down the Podcast, and you're a student or something, and you're thinking, what the hell's going on? Don't worry, okay? Deep breaths, okay? Occlusion is a journey, okay? And for those of you who understood what I said, I hope you implement it. I hope you get some good success out of that tip. And I hope you, hope you philosophize over it. I hope you think about it. I hope you think about what we're trying to achieve here. So just to summarize, when you're taking your bite record, consider taking it at your desired vertical dimension and not at an arbitrary position because your technician will not have to raise the pin or open the pin on the articulator and therefore you reduce another layer of error. Anyway, I'll stop babbling. I uh, hope you enjoy that pearl and I'll catch you in the outro after this stonker with Salman. Salman Pir Mohammed, welcome to the Petrusa Dental Podcast, my friend. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. No, it's, it's great to have you on. And the story with you and me is uh, we've been following each other on social media. We've never actually physically met. Uh, I look forward to one day as we get more and more face-to-face. But my, my buddy, Harjot, he spoke uh, very highly of you. He said you're doing the, the PROS program at Eastman, which I want to probe you a bit further about. But I've been seeing some really cool tips you've been sharing on, on Instagram. And one really caught my eye recently, which was um, a putty. And, you know, we'll expand on it in a moment. But it was, it was a putty. And then you drew on the putty uh, with... I can only assume was a Sharpie pen uh, to uh, give the technician some more information about the sort of horizontal plane of the uh, anterior teeth. And that for me was genius from an evolution of sometimes using uh, micro brushes as a stick bite. And again, if someone's listening to this and you have no idea what I'm talking about, we're going to go through it uh, in this uh, little uh, impromptu episode on, on, on exactly that. So that was really why, why you're here because you inspired me a lot uh, with that. So with that, Saman, tell us, tell everyone where you are at the moment, uh, what are you uh, studying, what are your interests, uh, and, and how um, you've been finding your, your program at the moment. So hi everyone, my name is Salman. I'm very happy to join you guys on this podcast. Um, essentially, I qualified from King's College in 2016. Uh, I spent a bit of time doing VT in Northwest London and I've still been at my VT practice for the last five, six years. So I've never really left. Um, after my VT, I did a hospital job for one year uh, where I was lucky enough to be at the Eastman Dental Hospital. So I worked in a restorative job, a bit similar to I think what Chaz has done in the past also. After that, I went back to practice because I thought I had enough of hospital. And after a few more years in practice, I realized I need to learn a little bit more. So I'm now halfway through my pro-specialty training program at the Eastman Dental Hospital, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, it's, uh, well, I'll go through it a bit more detail later, but it's pretty intense. Uh, it's mm. very hardcore. Um, but to be honest, like for people who love dentistry, it's, it's amazing. I love every day I go in. That, that really shines through on your social media that you're really passionate and you, and you love it and you live and breathe the stuff which is, which is great to see someone honestly it's amazing now tell, just the first question that springs to mind about anyone doing a specialty program is a lot of dentists listening they may be considering at one point to do something like what you're doing your specialty uh, M-Clin dent in prosthodontics for example uh, how much uh, implant training do you get uh, so for example do all the trainees get to a certain level of competency within implants or, uh, or do you make what you what do you get what do you put in like if you want to do more of implants then that you can be pushed in that direction so how can you answer that one for us so in terms of implant experience the issue with implants is there's no specific specialty on implants so everyone gets involved in it we've got prosto we've got perio and then we've got people in the restorative training program but then also oral surgeons and everyone wants a bit of a taste of implants um for me when i first went for my interview my the supervisor of the program told me that this is not an implant training program it's a pros training program and what pros treat, uh, teaches you, teaches you the treatment planning that you need to know to then give the patient the appropriate option. So I think I speak to a lot of implantologists and the kind of thing that everyone says is if all you've got is a hammer, everything becomes a nail and everything becomes an implant. And I think the more important question to ask first is when should we be placing these implants? What's the right situation for them? In terms of my experience in implants, so the, the pros training program at the Eastman, the first year we had a few weeks dedicated to implant training from a theoretical perspective. And then it very much depends on your case mix. 
Um, but by the second or third year, if you're lacking in a certain specialty and you want to get more involved in it, then the patients get distributed accordingly. The difference with implant planning is that planning for these implant patients at the Eastman Dental Hospital, because they're either cancer patients or hyperdontia patients who met the true and planning, um, the kind of NHS funding criteria, they're pretty complex cases. And so mm. the planning can take three to six months before getting to implant placement. The way I went along my journey, so I'm five, five and a half years qualified. I've done quite a few implants, but I did all my implant training before joining the prosthodontic program. So I went on two kind of short foundation courses to get my kind of fingers stuck in, did a lot of mentor placements. And I think mentoring is just, I know you mentioned it loads on your podcast, but it's so understated in dentistry. It literally, it's gotten me to where I want to be now. Um, and so when I came to the prosthodontic program, I've already placed quite a few implants. And that means I was kind of like on upward slope already. And that means I can make the most of it. So Jazz is right. It's a, you, get a, you get out what you put in. And if you're ready to put in a lot of work, you get loads of benefit from the program. I think that's great. I think you've done it the, the, the right way, you know, to get some experience under your belt before you start um, a, a very intense program like that. And, you know, just to just to mention, for those who don't know, you know, uh, Salman's got an eight-month-old baby uh, working in practice, doing the specialty program. Uh, do you find it's like a really, uh, do you find like sometimes you're like, whoa, this kind of week just flew by and do you feel like really stretched for time? Yeah, I'm like pumped all the time. <laughs> My, my, my supervisor thought I was a bit crazy in the program because when I first joined, I said I'm having a baby in a few months. Um, <laughs> in the first four months of pros training, uh, it's like a phantom end program. We're doing long shifts in the lab, constructing all your restorations, and then I had a baby along the way. But to be honest, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, there's no right time for a child. And to be honest, it just makes you, uh, Jazz, you'll know, when you, when you look at your son, you just know, you know what it is you're aiming for and what you're working towards. So in actual fact, it's the opposite. It gives me the motivation to keep going. Absolutely. Um, for me, dentistry, anyone, is, yep. yeah. dentistry is not really a job. It's For me, it's like a career. So it, it doesn't matter to me. And exactly that, when, when I also listen to other people speaking uh, on other podcasts and speak to other dentists, they always say that, oh, uh, I just bought my practice and we were expecting, or I just bought my second practice and we were expecting, or I just moved to Australia at the time and we were expecting. So, you know what, there's never a perfect time for a child to slot into your career. They just come and they're a blessing and, they, and you take it uh, in a stride and you make the most of it. So uh, that's amazing. Uh, let's hit the main theme of this episode today which is communicating cant to the lab. So uh, for those baby dentists listening right now, a cant is when something isn't quite horizontal. When someone smiles, they're, they're off at an angle uh, and you see maybe a lot more of the left side and not so much of the right side when they smile. Now, Saman, what are the different ways, um, and we can go into um, each one, of communicating a cant? Let, let's, if we start with the... If we start with the, the, the brush, the microbrush technique, and then how your, the way you shared was so clever. So if you start with the microbrush technique, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, so firstly, Jess, like the reason I thought cans became so important for me is when I started at the Eastman, and I got my first set of study models, study cards for my patient, and I put them on an articulator, and I got to the articulator, and I looked at it, and I thought, where do I begin? <laughs> because there's no starting reference points. And that's where I got involved in my cans and figuring out how they work. So the microbrush and um, the stick bite technique that people use is essentially using silicon bite registration paste. You put it on the teeth, ask the patient to bite together, be a little bit of excess at the front. And with that excess bite registration paste, you're gonna orientate a microbrush and people use one or two. The first microbrush should be oriented to, to the interpapillary line. So a line connecting the eyes and you want that line microbrush to be parallel to that. For some people, you need to assess them before because their eyes might not actually be at the right horizontal level. And so in those cases, I use like the countertop behind the patient, the floor, I look for a horizontal reference. Or the blinds behind the, you know, the window, the blinds uh, is too horizontal. Yeah. yeah. My patient made a joke. He said, you should bring a spirit level with you uh, when you're doing this. But uh, <laughs> maybe I was always thinking about how to implement that because I know, I, know um, my, my, I know some colleagues who actually use a fluid level, spirit level on their Facebook to make sure they truly are. Or uh, this is really clever. Uh, Lukas Lashman taught me once that with, with, with some glasses, some, some patient sunglasses that they put on. Before they take uh, the portrait photograph, they, they put the sunglasses on the patient just to make sure the fluid bubble is correct. Then they take the glasses off and then they take the photo. That, that was a, a pretty cool way to really, I mean, that's a really high level detail, but you're right. So, so you, you've got your microbrush in and now when you um, wait for the material to set, the lab gets that and then the lab is able to um, figure out that, okay, if as long as this microbrush is completely um, parallel to my countertop, I know the situation of the models is gonna be closer to the real life situation.
Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. Yeah, and then mounting, it's important to note that they're not going to be mounting these casts at an aesthetic angle rather than a functional angle. So it's, it's, it's we'll talk about it later anyway, but I'm sure we'll go into it. But um, these micro brushes, the issue I was facing was if I, when you're sitting right next to the patient, you're lining up this horizontal line and then you step back and you realize it's wrong, you're kind of restarting again. And that's the biggest issue. It's set and you're done. And then the second issue is transport, because <laughs> uh, things get broken in the post, things get distorted, and then it's all off angle. A really it's, good tip it's, is it's, it's very photo. flimsy, isn't it? It's very flimsy, uh, that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you had a tip with that. Yes, yeah, so, well, take a photo is the first thing. As soon as you've taken your record, just take a photo of it. So even if you're a few degrees off, when a technician sees that photo and puts on a computer, they can just recalculate and just reorient it as you need to. So just some kind of reference point that they need to begin with. That's brilliant. And nowadays with the, you know, keynote and the different lines and the DSD sort of lines. And uh, like I said, if anyone ever emails me, messages me, I'm happy to send you the, the, the ruler and the lines and whatnot. They're really cool to have. And sometimes you can just verify on your laptop. Uh, okay, was this actually, did I nail it? And if you didn't, it's okay. You just tell your technician, okay, just make sure you shimmy a little bit, a couple of degrees clockwise or whatever, and they can uh, accommodate for that. So tell us now about this uh, really cool tip you shared about how to overcome this stick bite because it's so flimsy. And I, you know, please share because it was really clever what you did. Yeah, so when I started at the Eastman, there's two supervisors who really helped me out and gave me a lot of tips with my cases. And two of them recommended that you roll up some putty freehand. You place it over, you can place it over teeth or even in a dentalist ridge. And I mainly just go for the upper three to three. I roll it over and then once it's set, um, you draw some lines. So you get your Sharpie marker and the lines I draw is I usually draw a horizontal line, I draw a midline. You can even add in things like I've had people t- like message me on Instagram, they're adding canine lines, uh, full smile lines, resting smile lines. And because you can change it and adapt it, and the best thing is if you get the line wrong, you rub it out, start again, and you just send it off. And it doesn't get distorted in the post, take a photo, it's so much simpler. And that's really helped me out a lot in practice. It's an easy thing to do for all, and it's almost as though you're creating a wax jaw uh, registration, wax yeah. wax rim, right? And you know you're able to draw on yeah. that uh, now. Just because the the nuances, obviously the putty is going to be a little bit curved. Three to three will have that labial curve. Um, any tips on being able to draw uh, a nice line? Like you're obviously looking at the eyes, assuming they got um, normal eyes, I guess. Uh, looking at the eyes, and you got the a ruler, or are you doing it freehand? Any any sort of tips or nuances? Yeah. You know, after, after I posted on Instagram, Hajjan messaged me. He said he should have used the ruler <laughs> because even the post I've done is a little bit curved. But I think uh, for me, like draw in a pencil first and then just mark it up in a Sharpie afterwards. That's probably the easiest thing to do. You can get a bit of floss and bend it across the putty and use that. I think it's nice that it's actually on a curved platform. Um, it's actually better than a micro brush because your smile is naturally a curve. Mm. And so a curve may actually work better than doing a straight line. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of ways to do it. But the best thing is it can be redone. And as soon as you take that photo, you'll know. When you see that photo and you see what you're sending to a technician, you spot straight away what the mistakes are with it. Um, just to let you know, Jess, I, I work in NHS mixed practice still, like half one day a week. And so I've been trying to figure out all these tips. I, I, learn, I take what I learned at the Eastman, it's a very, very high level. And I need to apply this in a kind of practice setting. And these are the kind of solutions that I take away with me. So I'm always trying to figure out what will work for these patients in these time and financial constraints. And I'm sure many of your listeners have the same challenges every day. We do. We have these challenges and we need something that's uh, quick and easy, uh, quick and dirty to do. These little tips are really helpful. Now, uh, th- this begs the next question. Okay, when would you do... Okay, let's, so uh, if you call the evolution away from stick bite to the, the, the putty bite, let's call it the putty bite, shall we? Um, the putty plane, uh, the Salman putty plane, okay? Uh, uh, when, when would you use this instead of your Facebook uh, or uh, are you often using it uh, to supplement uh, the Facebook? Okay. Either both in the so, real yeah. world and in um, the ideal scenario, in the, in the most, you know, ivory towers. Yeah, <laughs> ivory towers. Uh, Jazz, in terms of cans, firstly, like, there's so many, I've got like nine or ten ways I measure it within practice because 
there's different situations that work with these. So I'll just share a few of them that are really easy. So, for example, I was prepping like an upper six unit three to three bridge a couple of weeks ago. Um, and after I finished, I looked at it and I said, how am I going to translate this can to the technician? And I looked at the canine tips and I just held my mirror handle across the canine tips. I looked at it, matched the patient eyes. I was like, that looks about right. I don't need to do anything. So when I send a prescription to my technician, I just say, you know what, the canine tips mount it aesthetically according to that. And that's your can's done for you, right? It's not really going to go wrong. There's only an extra putty there to go over the top. Um, another way that I've started doing, uh, temporaries are amazing. Like I heard Basil's podcast with you, but like temporaries, provisional restorations. If you're happy with your temporaries and your provisional cans, take an alginate, ask the lab to copy it. It's, it's a much easier technique and much more accurate than all of this that we're discussing. Um, and the last one is I was, I was prepping a, a six unit anterior case again a, a couple of months back. And when I finished the preparation, my supervisor at the Eastman told me what you can do is just with one of these teeth, just prep it according to the cans that you want. So the upper left one, just shave off like 0 0.2, 0 0.3 millimeters, get it in the right horizontal axis and just ask your technician to use that tooth as your reference point. Okay, that's an interesting way to do it actually. And, and, and it, by that, do you mean do you mean like a midline cant for that one? No, even just uh, even the incisal edge of the upper left one, just the way you trim it horizontally, ah, trim, mm -hmm. and you're done, right? So th there's so many ways of doing this, but the main thing is if you, you we've got to think about the challenges that we give our technicians because I never appreciated it, and now I do the lab work for my own patients. It's yeah. it's blind. If you think about it, they're sitting there with two casts and they haven't got the patient's face in front of them, and then suddenly when the work comes back and you complain realize it's our fault in the first place <laughs> absolutely i mean absolutely you're so right all these challenges we face all the time and so the more we give our technicians uh, the better so well, what point are you then supplementing these um accessory techniques to communicate a client uh, to account with a facebook uh, and okay. what are your views on um always facebook or or let, let's go very fundamental someone and then we get this question all the time. Like when I was a new grad, like uh, I didn't know anything about Facebooks. Even though, even though we had the yeah. module, it was just really confusing. You know, I, it, 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 I didn't really grasp it until a few years afterwards. So, what is the point of a Facebook? So, some people listening who are thinking, you know, why? If, if there's one aim of this podcast, like this podcast episode, I just like people to not be scared <laughs> of the word Facebook. Like it creates so many like random thoughts and mysteries that I didn't understand at all until I got to the Eastern Dental Hospital. So. The, the face bow is purely just a way of measuring the relationship between the teeth to your jaw joints, okay? It's just a utensil that we use, okay? Now, the reasons why we would use a face bow, there's aesthetic reasons and there's functional reasons. So the aesthetic reason to use a face bow would be to translate a patient's count to the lab, but that's definitely not the primary reason of a face bow because the old style Facebooks, well, even the Facebooks that we use, they're arbitrary Facebooks, which means we use them in the ears as our reference points. And people's ears are not necessarily parallel to the interpupillary line or to the floor, but it is in the majority of patients. So if you're taking a facial record, a secondary benefit would be that you get to translate a CANT to your laboratory technician. But if I needed to translate a CANT, my primary thing I'd pick up would probably be that putty and a Sharpie marker rather than an actual Facebook record. The Facebook uh, supplementary to your Facebook record to, to, yeah, to verify, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when you when, when we figure out when, when an articulator, it's just our guesswork of what the jaw joint is doing, right? And when we put our maxillary and mandibular cast on it, we can either mount them in a functional relationship, which is how a Facebook works, or we can mount them on an aesthetic relationship, which is when I send my putty to the technician, I told the technician just mount this according to the putty line, but I know that might not necessarily be what's in the patient's mouth. It's purely just to give them the horizontal reference point so that the aesthetics for me come out correct. And so the question that people will then ask is what's the point of a Facebook? Why use it? Because if you're mounting things not with Facebooks and they work out fine, what's the actual reason for this? And this is the there's a huge debate on behind the scenes that even the Eastman Dental Hospital about and, 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 and just for you re reveal the answer there. I mean, you're totally right. I'm just going to echo those thoughts. So you, you if you have a, a successful putty uh, with the line going across communicating the aesthetic plane and uh, the technicians able to mount that on an average value articulator uh, without the use of the um, the, the, the face bow uh, and then you're getting good results. And then therein lies the question, what additional benefits uh, is the face bow giving? <laughs> well, this is this is the big debate, right? Because there'll be things I say that people don't agree with. So let's say we have just a regular patient. They've got upper and lower seven to seven, which are sound. And I take upper and lower impressions and I tell the a technician to mount it. Now, when the patient puts, uh, when the technician, sorry, puts those casts together and they mount them in ICP, that's a static relationship. 
And me sending a Facebook record to get that static relationship has no benefit whatsoever, okay? But if I ask the technician to raise the OVD or increase the OVD by one or two millimeters and create a wax up in that position, the, I'd have to go back to basics here, just because I'm, I'm making sure that... So there's different types of articulators. The first type of articulator is a hinge articulator, which just goes up and down. It doesn't reflect the patient's jaw at all. It doesn't accept facial records. I mean, e honest, even more primitive than that, Salman, is the, the old uh, wrist, wrist articulator. <laughs> but you know, just the, the evidence shows that the hand articulator is more accurate than the actual hinge articulator. <laughs> so, if I, so, if I, so if I've got like a lower right six single unit crown, I'd rather my technician mounts it on his hands and figures out the excursions rather than puts it on a hinge articulator because that just has no relationship to what happens in the mouth whatsoever. <laughs> Very okay? true. Okay, the, the second type of articulator is like a fixed average movement articulator, which just has general averages that work for like it's multiple patients have been assessed or the angles have been put into this articulator and you mount your cast on there. Now that articulator doesn't accept a Facebook record. It, you position the cast on there either just randomly or there's certain parameters that you can mount it using, which I can discuss if, you, if you'd like to. But the main I mean, let, while we're on that topic, yeah, let, let's go into that. So, yeah. so you just we, we talk about the evolution. We talk about the wristiculator, uh, which actually someone said that the evidence suggested maybe better than a simple hinge. So definitely, let's avoid the simple hinge. Let's skip that. Uh, and, and then now we're talking about uh, an average value uh, articulator. Uh, and then in that, you you know, if you imagine you're a technician, you get these cast through, and you're trying to put it in somewhere within the articulator and here is lies the issue you're just guessing so what clues can we give to the technician i think is what you're coming to uh, to help them to almost be as good as what the perhaps a facebook may give yeah so so like if you look at dna for example like the companies will sell special mounting plates for these cars to go on top of and those mounting plates are built there's an, there's anatomical features like there's a, something called Bonhoeffer's triangle or Bolko's angle, and essentially there's some set parameters that there's a certain number of centimeters. I think it's 11 centimeters from the condyla the condyla to like the mandibular incisors, and you know that this measurement is fixed. And so when you then put your mandibular cast on the articulator, you put it according to what we call Bonhoeffer's triangle. You set it up there, and then you put your maxillary cast on the top, and you know which angle to put it at because of Bolko's angle. And there's all these degrees that you can put on. You start with that first. And then you've got some kind of average to begin with so that when you then begin to move the, that maxillary mandible around, you know that maybe it will relate to what was going on in the patient's mouth. So that's the fixed average value. And, 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 and um, I mean, the other thing that we can also do here to help our technicians and something that, you know, you'll, you'll be doing all the time is sending some full face photos uh, and also even the full face photo with some retractors so that when they bite together, you can see all the gingiva. And then a clever thing to do then would be to um, get that all, make sure all the planes are correct, a little bit of tiny rotations and degrees. And then when we take our intraoral photos to make sure everything lines up. And you can nowadays, you know, on Photoshop, whatever, put your uh, or superimpose your intraoral photo on the facial photo and just make sure everything's correct. And by giving that level of information to the technician, they can now, as they're uh, about to set their, 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 the model um, on the uh, average value articulator, they can look at your photos and be like, okay, this looks like a little bit like this and I'm gonna do it like that. And then you can even give a side view, a profile view showing, okay, this is uh, the best guess of how it's gonna be. And that's just little things we can do to give our technicians more information so they can recreate the patient's um, actual anatomy on the, the fake bit of anatomy that we're trying to recreate with an articulator. Some people might be asking, like, why do you just mount them? So even the maxillary occlusal plane, we know it's not straight, right? It follows a cavus fee, it's slide down the tilt. So even all these little things, when you've got, when you've got articulating plaster, if, you, if you've used it, it sets like this. Like when you're holding that model, or suddenly you'll be moving and it will just set and you're, you're stuck in that position. So it's not an easy job that technicians have. And yeah, every, everything that we can give them makes it so much easier. Then we go into the semi-adjustable articulators. So these are the regular ones that we use at the Eastman Dental Hospital for our regular cases. Um, and these are the ones that accept Facebook records. And so what that Facebook record does is you take it, and for those who don't understand the Facebook, it's a max your maxillary cast will sit on top of your Facebook record, your Facebook record inserts into your articulator, and then that maxillary cast gets stuck into the articulator at the correct position. And so this semi-adjustable articulator has like a fake jaw joint on it. So it's, it's Archon if it looks like a jaw joint. And then your maxillary cast is stuck there, and then you put your mandibular cast underneath, either an ICP or an open jaw relation position. And that's kind of more accurate than a fixed average value articulator. 
Yeah, it, 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 it's good because it, when you are moving something on the articulator, we're hoping that's going to be closer representing what's happening in the patient's mouth uh, com com compared to what the average value may give you because you've got that extra. Uh, it's essentially, uh, and I've got a diagram for this. I can put it on at this point. Is like the different arcs that are made. The the the, the arc of closure is going to be more, hopefully, more closely representing what the patient's mouth is. Uh, but, you know, as someone who uses uh, articulators, or oh, Facebook is very, very little nowadays and more digital I go, um, the thing that really annoyed me the other day, Salman, is like seeing some of these virtual articulators, right? Uh, and I didn't understand the following, which is on the actual, um, you know, DNR articulators, for example, it's the upper member that's moving, but we're sort of visualizing it as the, as the lower is moving, but it's, it's the upper one that moves, just the way it's designed. But even on the virtual articulator, they still designed it so the upper moves. I'm like, well, why would you do that? Just make the lower move. Like, you know, why would you design it in that way, even a virtual article, yeah. when you have the uh, power virtually to, to change all that? So that, that was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, and, and digital is coming into everything. It's like articulators are purely our guess, our, our best guess of what's actually going on in the patient's mouth. And so the next articulator, semi-adjustable, is a fully adjustable articulator. And these articulators, they're, they're complicated. Like, you take like full pantographic tracings of jaw movements in a patient's mouth. You sit there, you track all of these, you translate all the information onto this fully adjustable articulator. And it has been shown that this does reflect what goes in the patient's mouth. But is it really practical to use in day-to-day -day practice? I don't think so. And we need to find an easier solution. And so that brings me on to the best type of articulator, which is the patient. The patient mm. is the best articulator. Absolutely. And for me, like when you have temporaries or mock-ups, or you don't try something, you know, you've got complex restorations. Just put in temporaries in the math, put lab, put, put provisionals, checking the patient's math, it will make sense, cement them in temporarily, see how it goes. And when you're happy, just take a copy and use that because that's actually the best articulator you'll get. And yeah, I'm sure you'd agree, Jess. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because I was waiting for this and then uh, you, you said it and I'm so glad you did because the best, uh, as Tiff Qureshi ta taught me many years ago, the best articulator is a patient's own TMJ. And then you, you raise a great point. Look, the time we're starting, the time as a dentist we start using these tools, because all it is is just tools, right? Articulators, Facebook. It's just tools to help us to do less adjustment in the chair on the day of delivery. That's essentially, you know, in a nutshell, it's all it is to help uh, reduce appointment times, to um, uh, the, make sure that we and the technician can work together to, to to do less work, make it easier for us, right? And then by having temporaries, and i.e. doing complex work, and therefore we're now having to use phase pose and articulators, and therefore you're probably going to be having a temporary phase. Now, this temporary phase could be in composite, uh, in temporary crowns, or a combination of both, and that is the time you work on it, you nail it, you dial it in, you do your adjustments, you do your, you know, equilibrations within your temporaries, because okay? that's what we're doing essentially, we are equilibrating temporaries, and then you, you hit the nail on the head where you said, we then get the, in the future, when we're, when we're ready, when we've tested it, the environment, the, the human articulator of that patient, and then get the technician to copy the features, that is, I think, is as good as it gets and it negates the need for any, you know, fully adjustable articulator, would you say? Yeah, the, the only big thing I want to note is that I, I did, this is not me saying do not use Facebook at all because those initial temporaries have, for, oh, this, is, this is the old school Eastern opinion I'm about to give you, but those initial temporaries that were made from a waxer, which you've had on articulated cast, which you've had a managed opening and closing of the OVD, and you only get the accurate wax up and the accurate planning and the accurate diagnosis by having a set of properly articulated study casts. You only get a set of properly articulated study casts, in my opinion, with a facial record so that you can open and close the pin properly. And so if you've got a really great wax up and then you make temporaries from that, and then you do those really minor adjustments to those temporaries, then you know you've, you're almost perfect on the day of delivery. And I see a lot of these, like even I post them, like we do a lot of zirconia crowns nowadays and like monolithic zirconia crowns, which work amazingly well, but as you're going to these kind of materials, they're more and more difficult to adjust in the mouth. And for me, like the degree of precision you need is only going up and up and up. And so using things like face bows and proper wax ups, the, the first principles should always still be there in all of our minds. And the other thing to note with the face bow is there's no harm in doing it whatsoever. You're not reducing your accuracy by taking face bow. For me, it takes less than five minutes to do a facial record. It's like when you start with SLR photography, people are like, how do you get time to take photos? You just keep it ready. And honestly, it's so easy to just pick up and take that photo. Just keep a Facebook ready in your surgery. And let, once you've done it two or three times, it's, it's, it's very, very fast. People overcomplicate their undergraduate. It's a really, really simple technique. It's not something only specialist prosthodontists should be using. It's something in every general dentist 
Like, once you easy. get slick at it and your nurse gets slick at it and your nurse isn't having to uh, look for it, like, oh, oh, which surgery is it in today? And, uh, uh, oh, we're missing the bite fork or whatever. And once you get, you know, once you have, once you're organized and you have it in place uh, and, you, you know, you rehearsed it a few times, you know, I remember the first, I remember when I was in practice when I was starting to use the Facebook a bit more uh, and I was like on YouTube, like re refreshing myself or dental tubules, watching these videos to remind myself so I don't, like a, I don't look like an idiot. And even like, you know, the first few times I use it, the, the, the fork was facing the, the, the actual, um, the fork was facing the wrong way and the the, 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 the the hole was coming out on the left, not on the right. And yeah, these little things you mistake, you make it once and you realize, oh yeah, that's how it is. But you're so right. It is actually a super simple thing. Uh, it literally it is as easy as one, two, three and you screw and tighten everything up, obviously depending on yeah. uh, which type you're using. But eventually, once you overcome your initial fear and you book extra five, 10 minutes initially, it only takes up to five minutes uh, and then you can even take a photo when your patient's got the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Facebook on as well just to make sure later you can look back and think, okay, did I have everything... The did I nail everything? Did I get everything all correct? Uh, and this is all there to help you make better temporaries for less adjustments. And then when you've got everything right in the temporaries, we can transfer it to the mouth uh, and do the least amount of adjustment as possible uh, to, so you're not drilling away your precious zirconia, ceramic, your restorations. And that's the way to, to think about it when you say someone. And, and there's, there's, there's two or three, like the other benefits of Facebook we discussed earlier, like you, you get this functional benefit and you're asking the aesthetic benefit to the technician knowing this cans on that same articulated set of study casts. And then finally, for me, like, the, so something I've learned at Eastman is the way we stage appointments when we're planning two surface loss cases is we will not take all our records in one visit and then the next visit the patient comes in for that mock trying. The way we do it is the first visit, we do our whole diagnostics, we take just upper and lower impressions. The patient will then come for their second visit when you do your jaw relation records and your Facebook record because then you've got casts sitting on your table. And what you can then do with those casts is you check you verify them. And so that Facebook, we usually take it and we, I use impression compound. I see a lot of people using silicon bite-rich pastes. You want minimum accuracy so that when you've got those point contacts and you can verify your class is accurate, because before you ask the technician to do that very expensive wax up for you, you know that everything's gonna come back exactly how it should be. So the way I do is, I have my class ready at that jaw relations appointment. I do my facial record. I do my um, RAP, like tooth apart record. I verify everything fits on the class and then I send it to the technician. The worst thing is you go through all of this and then the technician goes, your cast, they don't fit together on his Facebook, they don't fit together on the jaw relation records, what would you like me to do? So that's just a little tip out there. It's separate the appointments, it makes life so much more stress-free. That's so true. And it, it gives you that confidence that, okay, the, the, the first phase was correct. Now you can move to the next phase. Now you can move to the next phase being the wax up. Uh, and you know that you're, 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 you've minimized your, your errors, your accumulated errors. So, dude, I'm, I'm so happy that we've covered that. Um, do you, by any chance, ha have you got much experience with a dentofacial analyzer? Is that the Coist one? That, yeah, the Coist, that the, the Coist one, because this might be a whole that? different episode with, with someone else. Because now that we've covered this, because this is what happens. You learn about the Facebook and someone comes along and say, you don't need a Facebook, just use a DFA. Uh, and you're like, oh my God, yeah. here we go again. Like, you know, because there's so many different ways to skin a rabbit. Now, I don't own a DFA. I've seen it being used in lectures extensively. Like I've been to so much occlusion uh, CPD that I've seen it being used a lot. And I get the point of it. It's, it's clever. It's quicker. I get it. I don't, I don't use it. So I don't want to talk about something and perverse it in the way that I haven't used it for. I was wondering, have you got any experience on this? No, I've just heard of it being used. I wouldn't want to comment on it without proper knowledge on it, yeah. The, the other thing is like, when, when, like even Facebook records, like what case, like the, the main issue that I had in practice was I was trying to pick which cases I actually need it for. So if mm. you're doing, some people say, oh, I use it for all my cases. I use it for some cases. I never use it at all. So which cases is it that's going to make that massive difference? It's, there's two really interesting papers that I read this year. There's one in Carlson. I don't know if you've heard of his papers, like Dogmas and Dentistry. You'd really enjoy it. It's it's he goes through kind of all these. It, it, yes, it also talks about the, the why the centric relation isn't this magical point. Is it the same paper we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's also like he talks about like why primary and secondary impressions are not required for dentures. What's the simplest way you can make a denture? What's the actual clinic? Does this actually change your clinical outcome at your final restoration? And there are quite a few papers out there that show they, they had kind of randomized control trials, complete dentures, one with face bows and everything, another one, very, very simple approach, no face bow. Was there a clinical difference in these patients 20 years later? And a lot of them say, no, there wasn't a difference. Um, and then the argument is, well, dentures move around, they can adapt, adjustment, adjustments were made. And so which cases should you be picking these face bows for? And I've got just a select few in mind that I always use it for. 
and the rest I feel I can get away without it. Oh, we'd love to hear that. So that's a great point. We can't even cover it yet. Is that when do you, when do we use it in practice? So we covered the why and therefore people can sort of extrapolate the data and figure out, okay, should I apply it to my case? But we like these uh, guidelines. So what, what are Salman's guidelines for using a Facebook? So, so, so for me, the first one is like articulating study costs before like I'm planning a full month reconstruction. Because if you've got a patient who comes in with two surface loss and you send your patient, uh, your technician just those up and lower costs just to articulate together, you need to know how they move in dynamic relationships. Because if you're planning and raising the OVD and you're going to open up the articulator pin, you need to have some kind of relation between those teeth and those jaw joints at the back. So if I'm planning any increase in OVD, then I'd be taking a Facebook record. So that's the first I mean, one. essentially, um, when you are reorganizing, you, that's automatically um, a yeah, uh, Facebook, yeah. which makes total sense. Yeah. And then the second one is, this, this is just my, this is my judgment call on, on this one. So if, if I, we are, we're always going for mutually protected occlusions these days, which means we've got our posterior stable ICB contacts and we're going for stable anterior guidance. So we see the upper three to three, we get good lateral canine guidance. And that means generally, if you're really working on a four, five, six, and seven, and the patient has a stable canine guidance, then usually you can get away with using, a, without using a face bow. If you're just destroying single or two units, four, five, and six, you'll get away with it. Then there's the whole last tooth in the arch syndrome, which I'm sure like we get asked a lot. It's a classic exam question. Like when you're in your last tooth in arch, how do you manage this? What's your opinion on that, Jazz? Like, oh, well, how do you restore that lower seven when you prep it and you just lose all the space? So, so, so me and Mahmoud are doing an episode soon uh, all, all, all about this uh, different oh, nuances oh, of last tooth in the arch. So, but no, no, I mean, uh, the, essentially it's important to screen for, for, for that case before you do it. It's important to communicate to the patient that, hey, this could happen. And once you screen for it and this could happen, you've got to have that chat up front with the patient that, okay, we actually might need ortho. We might need um, um, a crown lengthening or whatever to be able to do this uh, before you start. Or just to know at the beginning that you might just need to prep a little bit more and can your tooth handle mm -hmm. that before you, before you get to it. And then I've also done things like an island prep before uh, and then various techniques. Um, uh, but yeah, you're right. And having a, a Facebook on that uh, can, can help you to, to, to visualize Visualize uh, the, the challenges. Uh, what about you? Yeah. What, what, anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah. All I was going to say that if you match your study, so we've talked about Facebook a lot, but it's also people will ask when do you mount casts in intercostal position and when do you mount mm -hmm. them in that retruded axis position? And that brings up a whole other podcast for you, I guess, to discuss because it's, it's a huge topic. But essentially, if, if I like, you can, you can plan a lot on an articulator. So if you can mount casts in that retruded axis position, which is that hinge movement of the patient you need a Facebook to do that. And then you can see where the slide from that position is for, to RCP and that slide to ICP. And you'll then know if that lower back tooth is gonna cause you a problem before you even start prepping it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's this whole, it's, it's, it's this diagnostics that the Facebook gives you. It's, it's, there's a huge wealth of information that can give you, it's just knowing when and how to use it. For me, anterior six unit bridge cases, I'll nearly always use a Facebook record. I feel like that extra information just helps the lab massively. I wanna see how the protrusive guidance is gonna work because I might be heading for that anterior guidance and I need to recreate it properly. And then the last one is if a patient has very, very flat teeth. So four, five, six, seven are all ground down and very flat. I can just ask the technician, do a handhold articulation and make me crowns on a four, five, and six. But when he moves, everything will turn out flat at the end because he'll just be copying what was there before. And if I want to create nice cuspid fossil relationships, which should give stable intercuspid positions, then I need to give the technician a bit more information. And if I can give them a facial record, they can put it on an articulator and then they'll know how the condylar guidance works and the jaw movements work. And they can then create much more stable restorations for me. So multiple units, increasing inclusive vertical dimension and format reconstructions, and then diagnostics. That for me is like my, my uses of a Facebook. And it's uh, aesthetic, aesthetic cans, but there's easier ways. <laughs> and I'm, I'm grateful that you shared that with us and yeah, just on that point about multiple restorations I used to think multiple restorations equals Facebook and you should do it it makes sense but you, you're completely right in that scenario when someone is already canine guided and they get near immediate disclusion already that even if you're doing you know the four five and the six then you may not need it so much because you already have that disclusion in there yeah. but in the, in, the, in if you're conforming even if you're conforming, but you're conforming to group function and you want the anatomy of the teeth to exist and not just be flat, you're, you're completely right because now the technician is to dial it in and, and, and build it up in a way. But, you know, the exciting thing going forward is that on the module, you know, people are thinking it probably wasn't during this episode that, okay, who needs a facer when you've got a module? But, you know, if you've got a spare 40 grand lying around, I don't know how much it costs, but, uh, you know, if you've got a spare 40 grand lying around and you want to uh, get their functional chewing patterns and, and then uh, build those patterns into the restorations, that's like the ultimate way to do it and maybe that's the future.
future. Uh, but for now, as a tool to us dentists, uh, there is a place for face pros. We know that. And hopefully then from this episode, we know how you can cheat and avoid using one, but really knowing when to use one and giving you that kick up the butt you need to, to pick it up and just not be afraid to actually start using it and speak to your technician, right? Speak to your technician, find out if they're comfortable in, in working with it, which one they want to work with. For example, my lab works with the Artex one, and that's why I've got the Artex Facebook. Uh, and so it's so important to, to speak to your technician. A any closing comments, Alman? Even, Jazz, even that, that, this might use some brain thinking again, but even that four, five, six multiple units, <laughs> when that patient opens and closes, I, I still want a bit more information on how those cuspid implants need to be. And so for me, it's debatable. It might not make any clinical difference whatsoever. It's that, that peace of mind so I can sleep at night and I'll do a good set of provisionals and then I'll adjust from there. But I, that Facebook, yeah, for me, it's it's four or five minutes. It's no extra harm. Don't be scared of it, guys. Like, it's it's so easy to use. And I just recommend it for everyone. Digital is definitely going to be like, even I said, like, it is going to be the way to go in the future because once we can replicate the board, like the mandibular movements properly, we don't need to worry about this jaw joint position because we just need to know how the teeth move in relation to each other. And then it kind of goes all out the window. And I, I think that will be how it is in the future. Um, and we're just all just waiting for it to happen. You probably know more about the digital side than me. I don't know how you found it so far. So, so far, really good. Uh, but it is a lot of reliance on the temporary. So it's, it's a lot of um, data up front in terms of images, lateral excursions, um, full face, retracted, uh, using the different DSD tools to communicate that to the lab, scans at the required vertical dimension, and then uh, speaking to my technician exchanging emails, they're sending me uh, uh, digital wax-ups, uh, which are slightly uh, transparent, uh, reduced opacity, so I can see through the digital wax-up and see the existing tooth and stuff, uh, and then just a bit of micromanaging, okay, make it like this, make it like that, and then transferring that to the mouth. Now, once we transfer it to the mouth, then there is initial uh, hard work to do to make sure that everything is balanced, uh, some testing period to make sure that the excursions are where you want them and where you design them to be, uh, and, and once that's been built in, then it becomes much easier. But there is, you know, Either way, there is a work up front to be done, whether you're designing digitally or the technicians are waxing up by hand to make sure that when you transfer it to the mouth, it's going to be A, aesthetically pleasing, which is uh, super important, but also when they bite together, things are hitting at the same time and things are hitting at the right right times when they move their jaw, uh, whether that's a functional movement or a parafunctional movement, you've got you to gotta sort of build both into it. Yeah, even, even the analog way, like even once I've taken a facial record for those diagnostic study costs, and I open that pin and I figure out, okay, I want to open it this much, I want to wax up at this position. I'll then still go back to the patient and take my record at that OVD that I'm going to restore at. So it just shows that I don't trust the face well completely in terms of that movement of the articulator. I still need to, I need to make sure the patient can be in that position, verify to wax up at that position and then work from there. So there's no one trick that you just fixes everything for you. Jazz is right. It's just, it's multiple steps to get to that final results. And that face is just one of the small steps along the way that may increase your success rate. And, and we, we, we discussed it in terms of a Michigan splint as well once before, whereby if you, you know, yes, there are reasons to use a face bow. Uh, you could do, yeah, you could totally do a Michigan splint without a face bow. So what are you sacrificing? You're sacrificing some information to, to the lab is now going to be using average values, which may or may not correlate to your patient. And then uh, you may or may not then be doing a lot more supposedly, you know, we need these studies to show that, okay, with an articulator, uh, with a Facebook, without a Facebook, how many more minutes of adjustment are you doing? Uh, that's what we, that's what we kind of need to decide that, okay, if you're only doing extra two minutes, are there any studies showing it in, with respect to Michigan yeah. splints? <laughs> there are studies, but I don't necessarily, I mean, not, <laughs> this might make everyone stop using a Facebook. There's studies that will show pros and cons of each, but there's a study by Farias Nito, um, who did like a study in Michigan splints, randomized control trial, with Facebook, without Facebook, no real difference in adjustments, but I would yeah. add, <laughs> I would add with the Michigan splints, you're creating a flat platform totally. And so if you measure the OVD that you want and the technician creates a flat platform and they just create the smallest of ramps at the front, they're going to get anterior disclusion. It's not the most difficult thing to do. When you're doing a full mouth reconstruction with cuspal inclines and fossas and everything, then you can't translate what one study has shown on Michigan splints to a full mouth reconstruction. So yeah, it does work. It does work. You, you, you're, you're totally yeah, yeah, and you're, and you're totally right. You know, the the Michigan is is the the you know an upper Michigan. The lower buckle cuffs are hitting against a flat portion of the upper splint, which is uh, much easier to dial in compared to uh, the nuances of custer foster relationship. But you're right. You know, the the main key here is if you just give the lab the correct vertical 
then you do massively negate the the need for um for, for, for that Facebook information because as long as you, just like you just like you said as long as the uh, anterior um, the the ramp is steep enough to get some disclosure and here's the thing right we, if the technician can give you something near enough close enough and they make it slightly steeper on the on the, the splint itself you can adjust it intraorally just to make it a bit more shallow to dial it into the effect that you want so there are little ways around it and uh, so so there we are food for thought uh, Saman thanks so much for coming on and sharing what you've been learning nice. in your program and what you've been applying uh, and you know the main takeaway today is Think of cants. Think of using the, <clears throat> that little putty technique, perhaps instead of the, the microbrush technique, stick bite if you're already using stick bites. But also now, if you're someone who has been afraid of that face bow in the corner, just pick it up. Use it. Just, just use it. Speak to your lab. Uh, and it can give you lots more information to your technician. Uh, and the ultimate aim is to reduce how much you've got to do. Yeah. Well, let's say if you want to start using face bow, just honestly, like, for me, like mentoring practice has been what's got me to where I am now. Like I've stuck out in the same VT practice since qualifying. Kudos. And seeing patients come back and recalls and the same principle, that's, it teaches you amazing things. Stick it out in one practice, get a mentor, you learn everything you need to know. Honestly, you can keep adding on these little tricks like face pose and you can use it in general day-to-day -day practice. It's possible. I've done it. <laughs> Uh, you're a testament to that, mate. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, giving your time for uh, your super busy schedule. Uh, I know you're with family today, so have a lovely time with family. Uh, and I hope we meet face to face very soon where we can just, you know, geek out over some food and talk more about the nuances of uh, Facebook studies. <laughs> thanks for having me on, Jess. Really enjoyed it. Take Thank care. you so much, mate. <laughs> Cheers. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I'm hoping that uh, Salman and I were able to have a little discussion, a bit of banter about face bows and how to do things by just photos only or how to use the putty technique to get your cant correct. Uh, and it's given you some food for thought. And one reflection, one of the favorite things I like to say is that the role of an educator is not to put everything that's in their mind into your mind. The role of an educator is to open your mind. So I'm hoping that after listening to this educational episode about face bows, that your mind is open. So when you're thinking about the next time when you'll be using a face bow, think about what you're trying to achieve, why you're doing it, uh, and are there any other ways of doing it? Or maybe to pick up that phone to a technician and discuss it with them. How do they prefer things? Or what are you trying to achieve with a face bow that you can't achieve through some other means. So I hope you enjoy that. If you're listening on Apple, please be sure to, to rate this podcast. That's how the podcast grows and gets discovered and it keeps me busy and making these episodes for you, which I love to do. Anyway, thanks so much for listening all the way to the end and I'll catch you in the next episode.